So Judges chapter 13 through 16 is what we're going to try and get through uh, tonight. And this is the section that's going to deal with the life of Samson. So a pretty well-known individual um, in the scriptures. I think probably there's even a fair number of people that wouldn't be in the scriptures that, that would say, yeah, I've heard of that guy. And so Samson is who we're going to be talking about. Uh, the book of Judges, of course, is, is following a, a period in Israel's history where they're going through the cycle of um, uh, turning from the Lord and turning to the gods of the Amorites and worshiping them, thus breaking their covenant with the Lord, um, leading to a time of uh, uh, invasion, uh, their crops being stolen, um, coming under some kind of uh, oppression, and then eventually coming to the place where they have enough and then they cry out to the Lord and they ask for mercy. And then the Lord sends a judge to them and for X amount of years the judge will be serving them and uh, ministering to them. And then when that judge uh, dies off, that servant of the Lord, um, they forget the Lord and they start that cycle all over again. Now as we come into the life of Samson, um, what's going to be missing is them crying out to the Lord. We're not going to find that. Um, so we, we've seen it a lot, and they cried out to the Lord. Even in our last study um, with Jephthah, they cried out to the Lord, and he's like, go cry out to the other gods. I'm tired of it. <laughs> and they're like, no, we will only call out to you, our eyes on you, and the Lord has mercy. But with Samson, um, yeah, I, as I went through this, um, I don't see a place where they cry out to the Lord. So I'm pretty confident in that, but if I made a mistake, be, uh, be happy to point it out to me. But I don't think we're going to see that happen. So let's go ahead and begin there in Judges chapter 13, and we're going to find out about the introduction of Samson. It's pretty unique. It's going to remind us of some other accounts and stories um, of the scriptures. It says, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Long time. Now, there's a certain man from Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. I mean, this is, again, I mean, uh, it has some, some uh, aspects of the story that reminds us of the announcement coming to Mary, the mother of our Lord, or to, or to Hannah, um, the mother of Samuel. Verse 4 says, Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome, she says. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So um, we're gonna, he's gonna, the Nazarite vow is going to click in even before he is born. So this is um, the, the kind of the incredible circumstances surrounding uh, Samson's, uh, uh, you know, the, well, the announcement of his coming. And so Manoah and um, his wife, you sure can count on the fact that they were excited, they were grateful. But what we read here is that 
they were going to be under the Nazarite vow. This is something you can read about in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. So if you don't have a cross-reference in your Bible already, you could probably write that down. And, and essentially, the Nazarite vow uh, was uh, abstaining from anything from the grapevine, uh, so no juice or, or grapes. Um, you wouldn't cut your hair, um, and you wouldn't have any contact with the dead. And so this was going to be the limitations. Now, a Nazarite vow was not compulsory. Um, you read that in Numbers chapter uh, 6, you don't find that they had to do this. This was a voluntary thing to do. But in this instance, the Lord is calling Samson and even his mother to um, begin to walk out that Nazarite vow. And we're going to see that at every turn he tries to break that vow. Um, and it just it becomes... Um, it's like the Lord knows, hey, you need some extra guardrails around your life. You're going to be, you're going to take the Nazarite vow. And he's just constantly taking his spiritual car and running right into the guardrail. But Samson's going to be that next deliverer. And we read here that he's going to begin to deliver them. And, and although the text doesn't say it, I suggest to you, for your consideration, the reason we don't read and he will deliver them is because of his disobedience and because of the carnality in his life. So God uh, knows where it's going to end. Um, now listen, that's conjecture. The text doesn't say it, but I don't think I'm very far out on the limb with that idea. Now, who is this angel of the Lord? And there's a lot of studying you can do on this, but I'm, I'm just going to kind of summarize it and bring it um, to a conclusion quickly. I, b I believe this is an Old Testament appearance of, of Christ. And these are called Christophanies. It doesn't, it's not explicit in the text, but we do know there are places where the Lord would show up and, um, in the Old Testament in a, in a physical form. And so you have theophanies, Christophany, Christophany. So theophany is a manifestation of God. A Christophany would be a manifestation of Christ, the second person of the Godhead. Um, I would suggest that Joshua had this experience the night before the Battle of Jericho. I would, um, it's pretty easy to conclude that you know, there was a theophany, um, so in a, a manifestation there at the burning bush, not a human form, but it was nonetheless the presence of the Lord. And so there are these different times. Now, here's the thing that bothers people is the word angel. And they read that and they, they think of, you know, winged beings that are created by God and therefore um, there's no way. And so they get hung, they hung up. But what you need to know is that the word angel does not mean, um, you know, a heavenly uh, uh, creature or heavenly uh, creation. It doesn't mean that. Both in the Old Testament Hebrew and in the New Testament Greek, the word simply means, does anybody know? You guys know. It just means messenger. So you can't rely upon the word itself to tell you whether or not it's this created being or it's a Christophany or theophany or just somebody bearing a message. So what you have to rely upon is context. And really, context is always the most important thing because we all do this. And listen, you, some of you have been sitting here listening to me teach for so long. And you know, I, I, high probability that I'll do it tonight. I will use the wrong word. And yet you're going to be able to say, he didn't mean that. 
He didn't mean the devil died on the cross for our sins. You know, sometimes you can say, you know, you're just like, I said what? You know, like, yeah, you said that. I'm like, oh my goodness. But you know, nobody thinks, oh, Troy believes that the devil's the savior. No, I mean, in your mind, I'm talking and you, you fix it. I used the wrong word, but the context of what I'm saying, you, you fix that. So when, when you want to know and do word studies, um, I think sometimes we, 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 we kind of lose sight and get lost in the, in the weeds here. You got to look at the context. So I would say to you that this, this messenger is a divine messenger. Um, uh, Charles Riley says, clearly the angel of Yahweh is a self-manifestation of Yahweh, for he speaks as God, identifies himself with God, and claims to exercise the prerogatives of God. And sometimes we'll see him be worshipped as God. Uh, sometimes the people that have had the experience will say, this was God. Um, you might want to check out uh, Genesis 16, 13. Um, when, you know, in, in this instance, those that had the experience say, you know, Abraham, this is, this is God. And now, Manoah, we're going to, um, as, we, as we read on here, we're going to find out um, at the end that he says, man, we're going to die. And his wife's like, we're not going to die. Well, yeah, but we saw God. <laughs> we saw the Lord. And, um, well, it says, verse 22, we've seen God. And so um, I think when you begin to look at this, you can see how, all right, there's good reason to think that this angel of Yahweh is God because he says, we have seen God and we're going to die. And she's like, I think if he wanted to kill us, he would have already done that. <laughs> you know, so um, this is the actual exchange that they have. But these are some pretty awesome experiences. And as you think about that, um, I, I, there's probably an aspect where all of us will say, man, it would be how awesome it would be to have one of those experiences. And no doubt they're special and they're wonderful and they're noted as such in Scripture. But I want to remind you that we get to draw near to the Lord in a full heart of assurance under the new covenant. And our experience and our encounter with God is not today, under the new covenant, is not... Um, Empty, it is full. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near in a true heart and full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You might also want to write down uh, Ephesians 3, 12 through 20 and, and read about how Paul prayed for the full experience that, of us to know the Lord and to understand his power. So we have been invited into a, a deep divine encounter with God. And it is pretty amazing for us um, to have such an experience. So let's go ahead and um, let's, let's read you know, a, bit, a bit more of this. Um, we're going to pick up there in verse, um, well, you see in verse 8, he prays um, the, um, to the Lord. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, said, hey, um, uh, oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do. And this exact thing happens, comes again to his wife. Um, she is out working and she runs and says, look, the man is here. Um, verse 10, so verse 11, Manoah comes over and begins to talk to him. And verse 12 says, now let your words come to pass. What will be the uh, boy's rule 
of life and his work. So the rule of life, the Nazarite, and his work. These are great questions for every parent to be asking the Lord for our kids. Lord, what do you want to do with my kids? What is it that you, you have for them? And, um, I, and I would say this, as you follow the Lord and you pray, and as the Lord puts a direction on your, your heart and your life, you can't make the decision for them, but boy, you can certainly put all kinds of things around their life that will help them to f- discover that and to follow that. Um, and the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. That's what I told your wife. That's what that means. Listen to her, what she had to say. Um, verse 14, she may not eat anything that comes from the vine. So she's going to be walking out the Nazarite vow, even as she carries the, the child. Um, and so Manoah um, asked the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you that we may prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though you may detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to Yahweh, the Lord. Uh, for Manoah did not know he was the angel of Yahweh. Then Manoah said to the angel of Yahweh, or the Lord, wherever you see all capital lords, that's the name Yahweh. What is your name? And this is interesting, verse 17, 18. What is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, um, if you have uh, NIV, NLT or King James. How many of you have one of those translations? It's, it's, it's different right there at the end of verse 18, isn't it? So I'll read at the end of verse 18 again. It says, why do you ask my name seeing it is wonderful? The, the, the King James will say something like, it's secret. Um, and I've got the two of the other ones. Um, go ahead and put those up there. Uh, Judges 13, 18 from the New Living Translation says, why do you ask my name? Uh, the angel of the Lord replied, it is too wonderful for you to understand. And then in the NIV, it says, he replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. It's a Hebrew word, um, peli, and it, it, it means wonderful or incomprehensible. You might want to write down um, Psalm 139, verse 6, because I think this is the only, oh man, yeah, I'm pretty sure these, there's only, this word, only used twice, maybe three times. But um, for sure in Psalm 139, verse 6, if you'll go, if, as you look there, um, it talks about you know, how you know, it speaks of the knowledge of the Lord and there and how it's, you know, it's, it's hard to understand. So um, he's like, you want to inquire, but you're, you're treading into things that are going to be far above your pay grade. Now here's the interesting thing. The Lord says, you know, all who labor, come unto me and I will give you rest. We just read in Hebrews, come boldly into the throne room um, and um, experience uh, the Lord. Uh, so we read things like this. Um, we read of the Lord standing at the, the door and knocking, you know, Church of Laodicea and coming in wanting to have fellowship with them. Get, forget the fact that they're lukewarm, but just the fact that God fellowships with us and he invites us. And Jesus said, I'm going to call you friends. Um, so we have these you know, uh, passages in these truths in Scripture that talks about the deep intimacy that we have with the Lord. But we must never forget that He is the infinite one, that He is God Almighty. And while He has called you friend and He's invited you into fellowship and to sit and have a meal, we must walk carefully and remembering 
But this is God Almighty. This is the Lord of hosts. And it should, it should you know, cause us to pause and consider our ways and consider whose presence we're in. Um, and that we don't take it casually, that we are in the presence of the Lord. So um, this is kind of how that experience goes. Now, um, remember, he says, you can prepare the meal, but I'm not going to eat of it. Um, so verse 19, Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked upon it. Looked, upon, looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. <laughs> wow, I mean, they got it quite a show. Um, wow. Of, of the altar. And when Noah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord appeared no more, Manoah and his wife, uh, no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die. We've seen God. His wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, would not have, he would not have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from our hands, nor would have he shown us all these things, nor would we have, he told us such things as these as the, at this time. So the woman bore a son, called his name Samson, the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him, uh, Mehana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtael. So this is going to be up in the northern area in the tribe of Dan. So that's, um, this is where um, he is called. Interesting circumstances around his birth. But again, you notice in, in chapter 13, we don't see them crying out to the Lord. The Lord's just like, you need a deliverer. And he calls one. And um, so he's pretty unique in what he's called to do. So moving to chapter 14, we begin to see some of the, the, the failure of Samson right off the bat, sadly. Um, now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. His father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson, Samson said to his father, Get her for me for she pleases me well. He just sounds like a knucklehead. I mean, it's just like, I saw it, I want it. Um, so um, he's a man that's going to be controlled by his flesh. He esteems his lust of the flesh over the law of God. I saw that. That's what I want. And isn't this what John says? You know, all that's in the world is the lust of the eyes, you know, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Um, and, and this is how Satan tempted uh, Adam and Eve, they saw that the, f the fruit of the forbidden tree was uh, good and would be pleasant to eat. And so they were drawn in this way. And Satan still tempts in the same way. Now the law clearly stated that the Israelites were to marry among themselves. Of course, there are exceptions to this, but certainly never ever when they're worshiping false gods. Lest their hearts be turned away. That's the reason for it. And so um, this is not one that's following the Lord. This is not a Ruth exception, if you will. This is not a, um, uh, who's the other one? Uh, Jericho, help, help me. Um, Rahab, thank you. 
Um, so, you know, the, these are some exceptions that you see where they, they do marry people outside, but these are people that have committed themselves to following Yahweh. But this is not the case here. And so this was, again, the reason for that was uh, to keep them from being led astray by idolatry. Look at King Solomon. He's a great example, or a terrible example of, uh, of this. Um, but sadly, you know, what he does is something that still goes on um, in, in the world today, within the church today. We pursue fleshly desires over the law that has been written upon our hearts. And the Lord has written, he said, this is the things I want. And we began to kick against this. Now look at verse 4. Now therefore, please be careful. Uh, I'm sorry, that's chapter 13, uh, 14. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. This is an interesting verse. So why is that? I mean, God is encouraging him to disobey. No, no, no. I don't think God's encouraging him to disobey. He just knows the circumstances. And the Lord is going to take the circumstances and he's going to use them. I, I, you know, it doesn't say it, but I feel pretty, again, pretty you know, safe in going out on a very short limb and saying, uh, Samson was not a spiritual man seeking the face of God for an opportunity to be used by the Lord. He was a man that was trying to please his flesh. And that's, the, that's who he is. We're going to see that throughout his entire life. And um, so the Lord knows this, but even still he's going to use Samson. And he'll even use his rebellion to accomplish the things that he wants to. That's how sovereign your God is. So you may look at that and think of it first in the context of your own life, but, but let's get outside of that. Even when people do unrighteous things against you, that does not keep God from doing something that is in his plans for you. So the Lord is good and the Lord is strong and he's going to bless Israel and um, Samson is going to be that individual. Now you have to, I mean, there's some sadness to this, that God is going to work through Samson's carnal choices rather than his devoted life. And so I think that's why we read, and the Lord began to deliver Israel under the hand of Samson. What would have happened had he sought the Lord and pursued the Lord? Um, even Gideon had his problems, but, but Gideon sought the Lord. What if he would have sought the Lord like this? Lord, I have this Nazarite vow. I'm reminded of my vow Every single day, multiple times a day, every time I eat, every time I drink, every time I get out of bed and I look at my long hair. I mean, it was there to be a reminder at his, all day long every day. Now, one day would it not have been a reminder to him. And so, Lord, what is it that you want to do? I know of the story of my birth and that I'm to be a judge and a deliverer. Lord, what do you want to do? We don't read that. We read of his carnality and, and still God works. Um, so we should all pause and be reminded that just because God is working through our lives, it doesn't mean that he is pleased with our lives or that he's approving of our lives. And this is where we, you, you see a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of people in ministry, a lot of people serving the Lord. They see things happening and Philistines are falling. Well, I mean, God, if, you know, if God wasn't on my side, if he wasn't pleased with me, this wouldn't happen. Samson. That's what you got to remember, is Samson. 
How much more could have the Lord done, would have the Lord done, probably a better word to use there, if, if Samson would have been a devoted vessel to him? So anyways, that's, that's kind of, you know, this the introduction to uh, uh, this woman that he's going to kind of marry. She, he kind of marries her. You'll, let's read. Verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. So you see how it's written in the vineyards of Timnah. I mean, it's just, it's just like it's, sometimes we're not getting a statement, but he's not supposed to touch the vineyard but, and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Um, it's just, again, you see that his vow is not important. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. Verse 8, after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Clearly, he knows it was wrong. It was wrong on a couple you know, levels, right? But um, he's not supposed to be touching dead animals, and um, of course, no Jew was supposed to be getting you know, a, you know, a little snack snack out of a dead animal. And, and this is what's going on. You can see you know, the Nazarite vow and the word of the Lord doesn't mean much to him. So his father went down to the woman and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they uh, brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within seven days of the feast and I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. Everything's just fleshly with this guy, right? I mean, there's, I mean, is this like the worst thing in the world? It's not the worst thing in the world, but this is just who he is. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. So he's referring to, of course, the lion and the honey. For three days, they could not explain the riddle. And it, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they came to Samson's wife. Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn your, you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. <laughs> you do not love me. You've posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you've not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I've not explained it to my father or mother, so should I explain it to you? Yeah, he's a newlywed, um, so that was his answer, okay? <laughs> if you're newly married, don't try that, guys. It's dangerous business to do something like that. Now, she had wept on him seven days um, uh, while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city came to him on the seventh day before the sun went down and says, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? There's the answer to your riddle. He goes, yeah, that's because you messed with my wife. If you had not plowed with my heifer, 
you have not solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. Uh, their apparel, took their apparel and gave changes of clothing to those who explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Wow. So you have a picture of, of Ashkelon, it's modern-day Ashkelon. Um, and so they're right on the coast, pretty spot, um, beautiful spot to be. And um, this is just north of, of Gaza. So um, this is the location that he went. Um, and, you know, Samson is deceived uh, by his wife. Um, she's being manipulated. She's fearful. She's threatened. And so um, what is going to happen, as we read on here, is that he's going to return. Um, and as, as he comes back, um, yeah, his wife is... Um, you know, going to be given away. <laughs> so here's the thing. Samson is totally, I mean, you never read, and, you know, he did this in the name of the Lord. Lord, you know, do this for your glory or your honor. It's always about him. It's always about him. You know, he's mad. He's taking vengeance. It's his anger um, because of what they'd done to me. This wasn't because of what was happening in the nation of Israel. It's what had happened to him. And yet God still is beginning to deliver um, so into chapter 15, um, we're going to see Samson's revenge, but God's deliverance. Okay, so after a while, verse 1, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat, and he said, let me go into my wife, into her room, but her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought you thoroughly hated her, therefore I gave her to your companion, your best man. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. I got a picture here. The, the word could actually be foxes or jackal. So there's your jackal. I mean, yeah, they're kind of cute. Kind of, kind of fox-like, you know. But that, that's a jackal. He caught 300 of those. Like, wow, that doesn't seem possible. Right, unless the Lord is working. <laughs> so as we read this, these accounts, what you've got to keep in mind is it's the power of God and the work of God. And so he's allowing things. I mean, all I can think about, and we're going to read this, is how in the world did he keep the torches on their tails? I mean, that's, that's all I can think. That is a very difficult, I mean, you know, so I, this is where my mind is always going to this, but I'm sure... Um, you know, how did he know to do this? Well, the, whether he knew it or the Lord just gave him the wisdom, this is, this is what he's going to end up doing. Um, so he takes them, um, these, these, verse 4, then Samson caught 300 foxes and took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. So there's 150 or so of these things. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go. And the standing grain in the Philistines burned up both the, the sheaves in the standing grain as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. He burned it all down. The Philistines, verse 6, said, who did this? It's Samson, um, the son-in-law of the Tim, Timnite. They come to uh, the house, and you see, so the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. So the very thing that she was threatened with is the very thing that ends up happening to her. So in her fear, she makes a decision that 
ends up bringing the very thing she's trying to avoid upon her. Uh, you know, you've heard me say this before. Um, don't ever make decisions from fear. They very rarely will be right. Um, we're the people of God, and the people of God make decisions not from fear, but from faith. We make them from faith. And if you're making decisions from fear, you're probably going to end up making uh, the wrong des- decision. It's interesting how both the Philistine um, or the Timnite wife and um, uh, honey um, from the lion, um, they both seemed sweet to him, didn't they? Oh, got to have that woman. She's, she's a sweetheart, Dad. I got to have her. And then sees the lion and goes, both of these are things that he shouldn't be touching and shouldn't be going to. And, and combined together, they bring a painful correction into his life. Well, how her? Because, he, because of the riddle. He shares the riddle and gives her the answer. And so these two things end up coming together in this moment for, I'm sure, what was a terribly painful experience for him. And I just, this is not a hard point for us to grasp. How many times do we think that something of the flesh is going to be sweet and it ends up being bitter? Ends up being, once you take it in, oh, it's sweet, you know, when you first do it, but you don't want everybody to know what you're doing, so you don't tell mom, you don't tell dad. It's like, hey, can't you get a, a wife from among the, you know, the Israelites? Ah, I want her. She's the only one. She pleases me. That's the one who I want. And it's his flesh. And so be careful when you begin to make choices and you pri- prioritize um, fleshly things that taste sweet to the tongue, but yet when you take them in, they're going to be bitter in your life. That's exactly what's happening. And, and Satan is quite happy to make it that, that, that honey to be the sweetest honey you've ever tasted. Or for that honey to be the cutest honey you've ever seen, you right? Whatever the case might be, and he'll allow that to go along just enough that he can orchestrate the attack upon your life. And then there is the pain of those decisions. Again, so we're seeing Samson's revenge, but God's deliverance in these circumstances. Um, so he ends up, uh, as we're there in chapter 15, he ends up doing this, um, and the family ends up paying the price. Um, verse 7, Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cliffs of the rock of Etam. Now the Philistines went up and encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? So he's talk, they're talking to the Philistines. They answered, we have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you know that the Philistines rule over us? See, I mean, they're still in power, right? The deliverance has not come. What is it that you've done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I've done to them. I mean, again, no talk of the Lord whatsoever. But they said to him, we've come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely 
and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men. So you got that next slide, the weapon that, his weapon of choice. It's just what is there. But again, he's not supposed to be touching dead things. And so again, this is, this is what he picks up. And um, he killed a thousand men with it, verse 16, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place uh, Ramath Lehi. So um, it's a jawbone height. <laughs> so that's pretty literal of, you know, it's like this is a, you know, jawbone, jawbone heights. Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord. Oh, okay. He's crying out to the Lord. This is a good thing. And said, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now I shall die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, he called uh, its name in uh, Hakori which is in Lehi to this day, and judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So again, another miracle. The Lord is being gracious to him. The Lord is meeting him in this uh, very wonderful way. Now here's the interesting. In um, Hikori means um, spring, so water, like uh, that kind of you know, water. Spring of the caller. He's the one calling, and the Lord's the one that gave the spring. He was thirsty. He was weary. He was tired. He thought he was about at his end. And the Lord gave him this, and he was refreshed. And, you know, it's, um, he went on uh, to do the things that he does, which is not much, you know, you, you've read the good parts of his life for the most part. Um, it's not going to get better in chapter 16. But I, I, there's, there's a, a miraculous flow of water that Samson needed, just like we need that flow of the water. Let me read to you a couple of verses. Uh, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Here Jesus promises fresh springs of the Holy Spirit to the servant of the Lord. It says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his hearts will flow rivers of living water, will flow springs. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So there's this spirit who wants to come and, and bring fresh water into our lives um, and to, to satisfy us, to quench us, to give us the strength we need to go on. In Luke 11, 11 through 13, it says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he, give, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Listen, this is the desire of the Lord, is to give the ministry of the Spirit into your life. And, you know, I, I believe these are experiences that we should constantly be coming to um, with the Lord and being refreshed in the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to fall upon us for the work that we've been called to do. That was a literal experience that he was having, but that experience, I think, so perfectly um, describes the way uh, those who put their hand to the plow of the work of the kingdom can get wiped out. You know, he put his hand to the jawbone, right? And he was tired in doing the work of the Lord. It was obviously the Lord that was, you know, doing that, which is interesting. So he's got this supernatural power that's come upon him. He's got a jawbone of a donkey, and he kills a thousand men, and yet he's tired. I mean, it, I mean no man can do that. It takes the, the power of God upon his life, and, and yet the power of God can rest upon your life, and you still can get tired. And there's that place to go and call upon the Lord and say, Lord, refresh me, you know, strengthen me. And um, the Lord has promised that, well, he's glorified, and so the Spirit has been given, and, and to call upon the Lord in the work where you are weary and you are tired. He will answer. If he's going to answer him, he's certainly going to answer you. He's certainly going to answer you. So if you're weary and tired and worn out, and you're like, I don't know if I can do anything else, well, you know, be a caller. Be a caller and ask the Lord to allow that the spring that he promised of the Holy Spirit to refresh your life. Well, here we're going to end in chapter 16. And we just see that Samson is, continues to be led by his lust. In verses 1 through 3, um, you know, goes to Gaza, saw a harlot there, and went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all that night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight, and then arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two gate posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces towards Hebron. <laughs> so again, you just see the power of the Lord come upon him and look at the circumstances. What's going on here? And, and yet still the Lord, uh, his power is, is resting upon him. Samson is dodging bullets left and right, not discerning that his actions are jeopardizing his well-being and the call of God upon his life for the nation of Israel. Revelation 2.21 says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Boy, that's just, that's Samson. We'll see some repentance at the very end of his life. But through all these circumstances, he does not do that. May the Lord give us soft hearts to make the necessary changes in our life and to see how he's trying to get our attention. All of these dangers that are coming upon him and these compromised situations, he doesn't discern as a chastening of the Lord. He only sees them as opportunities. And yet because God has a sovereign uh, work that he wants to accomplish of delivering and delivering through him, he does that, but he's misreading the whole entire situation. So this is there in Gaza that this takes place. Now as you move on into verse 4, um, of chapter 16, we're going to see his last failure, and it's the failure with Delilah. 
A lot of times people confuse Delilah with the harlot in Gaza, but that you, you'll see as you read the text, it's, they're two different geographical places. So this is Gaza on, on the coast, and then we've got a, a picture here. The, the Valley of Sorek is the, is the valley, excuse me, is the home of Deliah, Delilah, and there's, there's quite a distance between the two. Um, but he's going to go down there. He's going to fall in love with this woman, or at least they're going to be spending time together. And the lords of the, uh, afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him. And everybody watching says, that's not going to be hard. And find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. She was going to become a very wealthy woman. And so, um, you know, she's, she's going she's gonna to buy in. And, and again, you could just, it's so clear. I mean, this is what Satan wants to do with every fleshly encounter of ours. He wants to afflict you. And, and you, you have to say one thing about the Philistines. Man, they're, they're tenacious. I mean, they keep coming. They, they're not easily turned away from the trouble. Um, and so... Again, a lesson for us that our enemy, um, our adversary, the devil, he's in a relentless pursuit of us as well. So 1 Peter 5, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so don't put yourself in the valley of Sorek or in the house of a prostitute in Gaza or in the... You know, the, at a wedding feast in Timnah with a woman who's worshiping false gods. I mean, he's just like, he is just easy prey. And um, this is going to just continue to be the case. So uh, as we go into this portion here, we're just going to see, um, it's like crazy. Um, we're going to read Samson. She's going to say, hey, Samson, tell me your strength. And he's going to give her, uh, you, know, uh, you know, say, do this. And then they come in and it's not that. And and then she begins to get mad at him. She begins to cry. You're making a fool of me. You know, why don't you do this, you know, for me? And it's like, you, as we read this, you're going to think, this is one thick-headed dude here. I mean, why does he just not leave this? So let's, let's, let's go on. Let's get into this. Uh, so Delilah, verse 6, said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Okay, I'll be, I'll be glad to answer that question. I mean, it, it doesn't get any more obvious than this, right? But it's like he has gone so far, he is so full of pride. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines, they did this, it doesn't work, they come upon him, and he beats them all up right verse 10 then Samson said uh, said uh, Delilah said to Samson look you've mocked me and told me lies now please tell me what may be bound but what you may be bound with so he said to her if they bind me with seven uh, securely with seven or with new ropes they have never been used and I shall become like any other man therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him the Philistines are upon you Samson and men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms uh, like a thread, and then he beat them all up. And Delilah said to Samson, until now, 
You have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the womb, uh, into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten and the, of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you? <laughs> wow, this is, that takes some guts to do this. I mean, wow, she wants her money. She wants her payday. When your heart is not with me, you've mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she was pestering him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. He doesn't leave, he stays, right? That he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. I wonder if it was hard to say that. I've been a Nazarite. Well, I mean, I've kind of been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If, I've, if I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off his seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And then she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep. And here are some of the saddest verses, words in scripture you'll ever read. And I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. So he had done this so many times that he thought he could actually get away with it. Hey, I'm, I'm a strong guy. I've got a name for power and strength. But that actually becomes his downfall. He thinks that he can do whatever he wants. But the strength was not natural. It was supernatural. It was not his. It was borrowed and he thinks that he can live however he wants to. This reminds me of the warning given to the church at Sardis. Revelation 3, verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he was the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive. Samson, I know that you have a name that you're strong, but you're dead. You're weak. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before me. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I have come upon you. That's written to the church. That's not written to some half-hearted Nazarite strongman of the Old Testament. That's written to us. And that we need to watch. We need to be careful. We need to, um, you know, repent and we need to follow the Lord so that we don't end up um, having to deal with the Lord's chastisement and judgment upon us. Well, Samson doesn't know. I can do what I've always done. No, you can't, Samson, because God's had enough. Why this? I, I mean, just, okay, so here's, as I think about this just in the natural, you know, why not um, at the prostitute? I mean, this seems more grievous 
of a situation there. Why not marrying somebody who worshiped false gods? It seemed like that would have been the time to remove his power. You know, why not these other times? But this one, although still wrong, right? Um, it, It seems like the least of them. It seems like the least wrong of his wrongs because God had had enough. God had given him space to repent and that space was gone. And now it's one little thing. It's just my hair. I mean, do you know what I've done? I mean, I've gotten drunk. I've married you know, people that are idolaters. I've gone to prostitutes. I've ignored my family. I haven't honored my family. I haven't served the Lord. I've dishonored my Nazarite vow. I mean, it's just a haircut. But the Lord's like, no, I'm done. And here's the thing that we should learn is we need to learn to repent in the space. In the space. Well, what's the space? Are you hearing right now? You're in the space. You're in the space. And so don't delay. You say, well, nothing's happened so far. <laughs> yeah. I will go out as before and I will deliver myself. But he did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. So he ends up being arrested. His eyes are gouged out. Um, and he uh, begins to be a grinder in the prison. And we see that in verse uh, 21. But his hair begins to grow back. The Philistines have a big. Uh, Uh, party and sacrifice to Dagon, their god, the fish god. And um, they decide they want to bring in their their prize trophy, uh, the blind, uh, you know, terror of, uh, to the Philistines, Samson. And um, this is the guy that gave him so much trouble. Now they're like looking at him and they're praising their god. They're giving him glory. And um, verse 25, they end up getting drunk. They bring him in. And then he's led into um, one of their temples. You put up the slides, uh, the slide of, of the next um, scene. This is a, a um, archaeological discovery that's been uh, found near Tel Aviv to Tel Kassil. And this is actually a Philistine temple that they found. It's not the one he's at, but this is an example. And you can see those two pillars that are right there. So, you know, was, the, was it architecturally built the same exact way? We, they think that it was similar. You know, you, you can't know for sure. But this is a temple to uh, uh, Dagon, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to come, and he's going to ask for the, the lad, the young man who brings him in. Um, so verse 26, Then Samson said to the lad and held him by hand, said, Let me fill the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now when the temple was full of men and women and the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed, then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple. I'll have to be honest. I, I'm really hoping for more from his prayer of repentance than what we read. Uh, it's a good thing I'm not God. It's a good thing that the one who is God and forgives is so gracious and so merciful. And if we just kind of, if we'll even lean in his direction, right? I mean, this is not like some model prayer of repentance. Hey, son, when you sin, this is the way of like, no. It, I mean, it's still, I mean, it's a lot of, it's about vengeance, you know, for himself. It's not, what about the nation? What about the, not even in his mind. 
Well, his mind is not there, but the Lord is going to be merciful. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead, here's a sad commentary. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than they killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he judged Israel 20 years. So quickly as we conclude, Samson teaches us that God is not mocked. We will reap what we sow, even if you've been sowing for a long time and you think the harvest of trouble will never come. He teaches us that we should never try to justify our sin by the power of God and the work that is being done through our lives. That's not how to measure your standing with God. Samson teaches us that apart from God, we can do nothing no matter how much prior success we've had. When the Lord's spirit is gone, you, you, you don't get anything done. You need the Lord. And Samson teaches us that the enemy never gets tired of pursuing to bring us down. So how long do I have to resist the devil? How long do I have to be vigilant? Until you look Jesus eye to eye. You've got to be on the guard because he is after you. He is after us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this account that is it's tragic. It's tragic to see somebody. It's so easy to like this guy because of the amazing things that he's done. And yet we are left with such a, an emptiness as we read his life because he did not follow you. He did not obey you. He, he desired the flesh rather than desiring to be obedient to your law. Lord, you've written upon our hearts with your finger how we should live and walk the law of love. May we love you and may we love one another. May we choose to do the righteous thing. May we choose to walk before you in holiness. May we not be deceived into thinking you don't care. You do care. And yet we also see your great mercy that you show. And we are thankful for that as well. Lord, we want to be able to be those that can not only have your spirit come upon us to do great things in your name as you said we would do, but Lord, we also want to have lives that you'll be pleased with in the great works that we do. Help us to make wise decisions. In the name of Jesus, we pray.